الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد This inshallah ta'ala is our second lesson on the kitab Safinatul Najah Previously we've taken and we spoke about Alamatul Bulugh. In our previous lesson, we spoke about uh, the introduction, the muqaddimah of the book, the introduction of the author, Rahimahullah. And we also spoke about Alamatul Bulugh, the signs of puberty. Today, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to speak about the conditions of using uh, a stone. And the author, rahimahullah, he mentioned eight of them. He mentioned eight conditions. So we're going to go into the chapter known as Adabu Qadail Haja. We're going to be speaking about the manners of how to um, fulfill the manners and the etiquettes of how to do call of nature. The author, he started by talking about what is known as uh, he spoke about uh, and he chaptered and he called it Faslun uh, section. So the word Faslun it means section. And he then says Shurutu Ijza'il Hajari Thamaniyatun. The condition um, of using a stone, and they are eight. But before we go into the eight, what we want to speak about and we want to mention is the author, rahimahullah, he speaks about using a stone. And he doesn't speak about using water. Islam permits us to use two things. Walidalika, the scholars, they say that when you want to cleanse yourself after call of nature, there are three steps in how to clean yourself. There are three ways in how you clean yourself after doing call of nature. The first one is al-jam'u bayn al-hajari wal-ma'a. It is to combine between using a stone and water. So you do both. You use stone and you also use water. This is the best form. The person first of all uses a stone and then after that he follows it up with water. And the reason why this is the best is because the hajar, the stone, tuzilu aynan najasa. The stone removes the filth, the actual filth. It removes it. And the water removes the stain. And the water removes the stain. So the filth is gone, and the stain that remains after it is also gone. If the person uses water and stone. And today what takes the place of a stone is tissue. Tissue takes place of a stone. 
Number two, the second way a person can clean themselves after the call of nature is to just only stick to water. That you don't use stone, nor do you use tissue. You only use water. And this one is in the second stage. It's the second level. The first, the best one is when you combine between using water and stone. The second one is, in level, is to just only use water. And the third and final one is, الاقتصار على الحجر To only just use stone and stay, and stay away from using water. And that is the lowest of the, the three. That is the lowest of the three. And that is permissible. To just only use stones, it is permissible even if you have water. Even if the water is present, you are allowed to use stone. Or you are allowed to just use tissue even if you have water. But you haven't gone, you haven't taken the best, the best path. You haven't taken the best path. You've avoided the best path. Now, when we speak about al-istinja, cleaning yourself after call of nature, we have to understand that there are four pillars. Arkanul istinja'i arba'a. The call of nature is four levels. The first level is the mustanji. Mustanji is the one who is doing the cleansing. The mustanji is the individual who's cleaning himself. It is the person himself, male or female. That individual is called the mustanji. The second pillar is mustanja minhu. Mustanja minhu is what you're cleansing yourself from. And that is al-kharijun najas al-mulawith. It is the thing that is coming out. The excretion is the second pillar. The mustanja minhu, which is al-kharijun it is the impure thing that's coming out. It is the excretion itself. Number three, mustanja fihi. And the mustanja fihi is the private part. Al-qubul wa dubur. It is the front and the back part. It's not the uh, excretion, but it's your front passage and your back passage. And number four is Mustanjabihi. And the Mustanjabihi is the Mustanjabi, which is the fourth and final pillar. It is Alma Awil Hajar. It is the thing that you're going to use to clean yourself with. And that is either water or a stone or anything that takes the place of the stone. So these are the four pillars. These are the four pillars. The author is really focusing on here the mustanjabihi. He's going to be focusing on the mustanjabihi. Mustanjabihi means that which you're going to use to clean yourself. And as I said, they are two. The first one is water, and the second one is the second one is a stone. 
The author doesn't speak about water now, he only speaks about the stone. Okay? Some of the scholars, they mention that the istinja bil hajar, cleansing yourself and cleaning yourself after call of nature with stone, is a rukhsa. It's a rukhsa. It is an easy way. It's a gentle ruling that was only prescribed for this ummah, ummah to Muhammad, i.e. the previous nations, they had to use water. The previous nations, they had to use water. So this is khasais wa hadhi al-ummah. It's something Allah uniquely gave this ummah. Some scholars, they said that. As for the water, it's not something we're unique in. Previous nations, they used to use water. ولذلك, if you go to the kitab, Bustan al-Arifin by Abu Layth al-Samarqandi, he mentions that the first person to actually do istinja' with water was Nabiullah Ibrahim. And some of the scholars of tafsir, some mention the ayah, وَإِذِ بِتَلَى إِبْرَاهِيمَ رَبُّهُ وَإِذِ بِتَلَى إِبْرَاهِيمَ رَبُّهُ بِكَلِمَاتٍ فَأَتَمَّهُنَّ they mentioned the uh, kalimat here. Some of them they mentioned it is al-istinja' bil-ma'. Ala kulli hal, the uh, istinja' stand on those four pillars. The author, rahimahullah, he goes into shurutu ijza' al-hajar. The conditions in which you would need in order to use a stone. There are conditions that the author rahimahullah mentioned that have to be met before you can consider using this particular stone. Some scholars, before they go into that, generally, some of the ulama, they have actually spoken about it. They've spoken, they've spoken about fadalatul anbiya, the waste that come from the prophets. Are they pure or are they impure? Some scholars have actually spoken about this. This is an issue that was discussed from the scholars. Like for the excretions of the prophets and also the saliva of the prophets and also the sweat that come from the prophets. What are they ruling? Are they pure or are they impure? The scholars have discussed this. And, but we're not going to go into that. We're not going to go into that. We're only going to stick to what the author rahimahullah mentioned. Shurutu ijza'il hajar. The conditions that have to be met for the stone to be something we can use. The author rahimahullah mentioned eight. The author rahimahullah, he mentions eight. But they are more than eight. They are actually more than eight. They are 14, inshallah ta'ala. For 14 conditions. I'm going to mention those 14 conditions quickly, but I'm only going to explain the eight that the author, rahimahullah, mentioned. But before I go into that, the author said, Shurutu ijza'il hajar. First of all, we have to take the word shurut is a plural. And in the Arabic language, the plural are three types. The word shurut, 
is a plural. And the word plural in the Arabic language, shurut, is a plural. And plural in the Arabic language is three types. The shurut are three types. The first one is shart, which is, sorry, the plural in the Arabic language are three. The plural in the Arabic language are three. The first one is jam'ul taksir. And the second one is jam'ul mudakkari salim. And the third one is jam'ul mu'annathi salim. So the first one is jam'ul taksir, which is a broken plural. The second one is the jam'ul mudakkari salim. Jam'ul mudakkari salim means um, masculine plural. And the third one is Jam'ul Mu'annathi Salim, which is the uh, feminine plural. These three, these three are the three types of plural. The word shurut is a broken plural. And the singular is shart. And the singular is shart. In the Arabic language, the word shart is alama, it's a sign. It's a what? It's a sign. Lakin, that is not what it means according to the istilahi usage. Meaning, according to the scholars, their understanding of the word shart is مَا يَلْزَمُ مِنْ عَدَمِهِ الْعَدَمِ وَلَا يَلْزَمُ مِنْ وُجُودِهِ وُجُودِ The word shart, according to the scholars, is مَا يَلْزَمُ مِنْ عَدَمِ الْعَدَمِ its absence necessitates the absent, the absence of the thing that you want to do. I.e., if you're praying salah right now, and the shart for the salah is wudu, and the wudu is missing, so is the salah missing. So the absence of the condition is the ab- absence of the action itself, meaning the salah here. The, mi- the, c- the condition is the wudu. The wudu being absent is the salah been absent. So if the wudu is not found, the salah is also not found. And the presence of the wudu doesn't necessitate the presence of the prayer. Just because you have wudu doesn't mean we found the prayer. Okay? That's what it means, shart. That's what shart means. The author, rahimullah, he says, The conditions. So we now know what the word shart means. The word shart means a prerequisite. It's a condition. These conditions have to, meet, have to be met in order for a person to be able to use a stone. The author said they are eight. And as I said, they are not eight. They are more than eight. And I'm going to mention uh, the ones that the author, rahimahullah, mentioned, missed. So write this down, inshallah ta'ala. The conditions... Shurut Ijza'il Hajar are categorized into three. The conditions, the conditions of the the condition of using a stone are categorized into three. The first one is Min Haytukoni Hajaran Fi Ma'anahu. The first condition is whether it even meets the condition of it being a stone. First 
condition is, has it met the condition of being a stone? Have we found in it, is it present the conditions of a stone? It has to be a stone. And what are the conditions of a stone? There are four. There are four conditions for us to consider this to be a stone. The first one is, It has to be jamid. I mean, it can't be a fluid. It can't be something that, uh, that flows. It has to be jamid, it has to be solid. The second condition for it to, be a, to meet, in order for it to be a stone, is that it has to be pure. The third one is, it is something that can remove. A stone can remove something. And the third, fourth one is, it can't be something that is respected. It can't be something that's sacred. Those four conditions it is, does it meet the condition of it being a stone or anything that takes its place? So those are four. The second, the second condition is The impurity that's coming out. The impurity that is coming out there are seven conditions. There are seven conditions regarding the impurity that is coming out. Number four, sorry, number one, so those are seven. So they are seven. The impurity has to come out from the private part. Number two, the impurity cannot dry. It cannot move from one place to another. Nothing else comes onto it. Number five. It cannot fall onto the, um, the inner part of the person's two thighs. It cannot go that which we wrote on the board. It can't be found in the person's buttocks or the front of the, the dhakar, the, uh, the man's private part. It can't be on the head of the private part of the man. It cannot be something that cuts up. Also water cannot go onto it. These seven are the conditions for the impurity. And there are three conditions in terms of how you clean yourself or how you use the stone. And that is the third type. And in there, there are three conditions. It has to be with three stones. That every time it has to be able to cover the whole entire area. And it also has to clean the place. Those are 14. But we've divided them into three. The first condition is concerning whether it meets the criteria of a stone. And in there are four conditions. And the second one was conditions pertaining to the excretion. 
And I said there are seven. And the third is in terms of how you use the stone. The method and the way that you clean yourself with the stone. And these are three conditions. If you add them together, four plus seven is eleven. And then add three is fourteen. Those are the fourteen conditions that the scholars mention when it comes to Fuqaha al-Shafi'iyah. The Shafi'i scholars, they mention in regards to Ijza'il Hajar. Using this stone. Okay? Like in the author, Rahimahullah, he didn't mention all of those 14. He chose and he picked from some of the... Uh, uh, the uh, he used some of the um, first condition and he took some from the second condition and he also took some from or one from the uh, or some from the third, con- third condition and we've written those eight on the board we're going to now cover them inshallah ta'ala we're going to go through each one bi'idhnillahi al-kareem so let's start inshallah ta'ala with the eight that the author rahimahullah mentioned. So the first of the eight that the author rahimahullah mentioned is أَن يَكُونَ بِثَلَاثَةِ أَحْجَارِ أَن يَكُونَ بِثَلَاثَةِ أَحْجَارِ In order for a person to clean themselves with a stone, or the condition for using a stone, the first of them is three stones should be used. Three stones must be used. What about if a person used two stones? And those two stones that you used, it actually cleaned you. It actually cleaned you. It cleansed the place. Are you allowed to just stick to those three? So are you allowed to just stick to those two? Or is it a must for you to use three stones regardless of whether two cleans you or one cleans you? Is it a must that you use three stones? Yes, it's a must. You have to use three stones. That's the bare minimum. You have to use Even if it happens that you clean yourself and you cleanse yourself with less than three stones. And the, the reason for that is because ظَاهِرُ hadith. Al-Imam Muslim narrated in his Sahih on the authority of Salman al-Farisi radiallahu ta'ala anhu قِيلَ لَهُ It was said to him Salman al-Farisi it was said to him قَدْ عَلَّمَكُمْ نَبِيُّكُمْ قَدْ عَلَّمَكُمْ نَبِيُّكُمْ Your Prophet has taught you everything. Your Prophet, he taught you everything. He even taught you call of nature. Your Prophet, he came and he taught you everything, even how to do your call of nature. Salman al-Farisi responded and he said, Ajal, yes, of course. Our Prophet, he taught us everything. So Islam is a religion that has taught us everything that we need. It has explained to us every path. It has explained to us 
every path that will take us to Jannah, He has told us it. And it has also warned us from every path that will lead us to the hellfire. This religion has told us everything. Our religion has never left off anything that we need in order to enter Jannah. And it also hasn't warned us, has not left off warning us from whatever path will lead us to the hellfire. It's a religion which is kamilun shamil. It's a comprehensive religion. It tells us everything. It even taught us that when we go to the toilet, how to clean ourselves. What we should and we shouldn't, what we should or shouldn't be doing. Is it a religion that's going to leave off acts of ibadat that we need? Is it a religion that's going to leave off big matters that we need to know about? Of course it's not. If it's telling us that when we go to the toilet, what hand we can use and what hand we can't use and how many stones we can use and how many stones that we can't use and where we can face and where we cannot face, it's not going to leave off any other thing. It's going to tell us everything that we need. So Salman al-Farisi straight away said to this individual, Ajal, of course, Salman al-Farisi said, of course our Prophet taught us everything. He taught us when we go to call of nature that we do not face the Qibla. He told us not to face the Qibla. Whether we're doing um, uh, feces or whether we're, doing, we're urinating, it doesn't matter. We're not allowed to face the Qibla. He also told us not to. He also told us not to use our right hand when we're cleaning ourselves. He also, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he told us that we're not allowed to use less than three stones. So the hadith says, min We are not allowed to use less than three stones. hadith, from what is apparent from the hadith, is that we're not allowed to use less than three stones. Whether it cleanses, cleanses us or not, we're, allowed, we're only allowed to start with uh, three. And we can go over and more than that, but we are not allowed to use less than three. And also the Prophet وسلم, he prohibited us والسلام, from using a bone and he also prohibited us from using animal dung. He prohibited us from it, alayhi salatu Then, what we take from this is that we are not allowed to, uh, in any way, shape or form, uh, cleanse ourselves with less than three stones. The bare minimum is three. That's the bare minimum. Lidahir al-Hadith. And that which we have to understand is our religion is specific. It's particular. Numbers are important. Numbers are important. We are told when we go to do Hajj, the amount of stones that we can use. Not only that, we are even told what types of stone that we are allowed to use. 
ولذلك some of the scholars they discussed the fact that the Prophet said three stones what about if I was to get one stone but it had three edges, three sides am I allowed to use each side? يعني I'm going to use one stone but I'm going to use three of its sides I'm going to use three of its sides what about that? we'll say that no the hadith clearly and categorically said Three stones So the person should use Three stones The second condition is The second condition is Is that it cleans the place Means That it cleans the place This is where the author he said it should purify. It should purify. It should purify the person's place that you're cleaning. It should. It's a condition. If it doesn't, then it's not meeting the second criteria, the second condition. Okay? What does it mean? Al-Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah says وَأَنْ يُنَقِيَ الْمَحَلَّ means وَأَلَّا يَتْرُكَ قَائِمًا إِلَّا لَاسِقًا لَا يُزِيلُهُ إِلَّا الْمَاءِ That when you use the stone it can't leave anything sticking out it has to rub and peel off everything it has to take off everything and it has to leave the place لَاسِقًا لَاسِقًا means it has to leave it um, flat. It removes everything. Only that which can only be removed by water. Yani there are things that can only be removed by water. A stone can never do. That's the only thing that needs to be left. That's the condition. The third condition is But before I go in Last lesson I promised that every point that the author brings We're going to bring evidence for it We brought the evidence for using three stones But what about the evidence of cleaning the uh, place This is an issue regarding التعليل Ta'aleeling means reasoning so the, some of the evidences I mentioned are going to be Dalil min al-Qur'an wa sunnah And some of it is going to be a ta'leel, reasoning So here we say that the maqsood, the whole objective of why the istinja was even permitted in the first place And it was legislated, was for it to clean That's the wisdom and that's the reasoning behind it The third one is najas means it can't dry It cannot dry Because they say If it dries The stone won't be able to It won't be able to clean it It won't be able to clean it Here's the question According to the Shafi'iyah Here according to the Shafi'iyah Whether some of it dries Or all of it dries 
it's the same for them. Whether some or all of it dries, it's the same. The stone won't be able to do it. This is their reasoning. They say, That if it dries, the stone will not be able to clean it. Okay. وَلَا means it shouldn't also move from one place to another. So the purity should not be completely dry. This one, najas, it shouldn't completely dry. According to that translation, it goes against what the Shafi'iyah believe. The Shafi'iyah actually believe whether it's completely dry or partially dry, meaning part, part of the, 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 the feces is dry, or part of the urine is dry, they believe it still does not meet the criteria. It still doesn't meet the condition. So whether it's partial or whether it's complete, to them it's, it's not. So it would have been better to say the impurity should not be dry. Okay, It should not be dry. Regardless of whether all of it is dry, or whether it's partially dry. Number four, the, pu- the impurity should not have spread out. Walayantakila means it should not have spread out. What do they mean by it should not have spread out? See, according to the Shafi'iyah, they believe. That the reason why the istinja'i bil hajar, the using of the stone was permitted, is for the person to clean this area. If the urine or the feces falls on another part of the person's body, then they're saying this is no longer istinja. It's now um, water must be used. It's equivalent to someone else's urine going on your body here. Because this urine has gone another segment of the, your body. Okay, it's gone to another segment of your body, another part of your body. So they say the only part that the Sharia permitted is the area in which the impurity came from. How far is that area? It's mentioned in the sixth condition. How far is the area? which you're allowed to clean yourself with the stone. I hope this is understood. The impurity should not have spread out, so it can't go to other areas. How far can that urine go? Or how far can that feces go? No other impurity should come up. It's going to mention it in the sixth. Inshallah. We're going to see it in the sixth. The fifth one is, no other impurity should come upon it. So if there's a urine on you and another impurity or goes on top of it, the Shafi'iyah believe there's a condition missing. The reason for that is the reason for that is because they say that the original impurity that the person came with, the original impurity that the person came with, there's an evidence for you using a stone for it. But this additional um, impurity, it requires 
additional evidence that you can use a stone for it. Okay? That's the illah. That's the reasoning for why they believe There should no other impurity can come upon it. So uh, you, your urine, another urine can't go on top of that. If it does happen, they say, it doesn't meet the condition of الحجر, the stone doesn't help you now. You have to resort to water. Remember when we say, if, if it dries, then you have to use water. It can't move um, or it can't spread. Then you'd have to use water. You're not allowed to use stone anymore because the condition is missing. You see, it has to clean the area. If it can't clean the area, then you have to resort to water. Okay? Or maybe even more stones. This one, the Shafi'iyya say, it cannot go beyond the area that they believe up to which area that the impurity can go beyond uh, cannot go beyond is the inner buttocks so the inner buttocks the persons in between their thighs up that area it's that's how far they, they say it can go and the head of the the private part of the man then is the head of the private part of the man okay the impurity can't go beyond that. So if it goes on your thighs and it, or your knees or it goes on other areas, they, said, they say that it has spread out now. It has spread out. The limit that you have is that area. And there, As I mentioned, their reasoning for this is what? If it goes beyond that limit, they're saying it's of no difference. There's no difference between impurity going on your leg, for instance. Okay? And if a purity goes on your leg, you can't use a stone. You have, to, you have to use water to clean it. Okay? Number seven is water should not splash onto the stone. Water should not splash onto the stone. Water cannot spread, cannot splash on it. Um, that's what they say. And uh, whether is that water is clean or whether it's not clean, according to the Shafi'iyah, it doesn't matter. Whether it's clean water or not, the stone must not come into contact with water. It shouldn't. They don't believe that. And again, um, which is the seventh condition, it goes under the fifth one. So the seventh one, it falls under the fifth. Nothing else goes onto it. Whether it's pure or impure. وَأَن تَكُونَ الْأَحْجَارُ طَاهِرَةً وَأَن تَكُونَ الْأَحْجَارُ طَاهِرَةً 
And last but not least, the stones, they have to be pure. Okay, they have to be what? They have to be pure. The last condition is the stones, the stones to be used should be pure. The stones that the person is going to use, they have to be pure. And the evidence for that is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, kharaja nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam li hajati. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa left and went out to do his call of nature. And then he said to him, iltamis li ahajar. Go and get me three stones. The Prophet said to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, go and get me three stones. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he said, فَأَتَيْتُ بِحَجَرَيْنِ I came to him with two stones and also وَرَوْثَ And I brought him an animal feces, a dry animal feces. فَأَخَذَ الْحَجَرَيْنِ The Prophet took the two stones وَأَلْقَ الْرَوْثَ And he tossed, صلى الله عليه وسلم, the uh, animal feces. He, he, he tossed it. And then the Prophet said, إِنَّهَا رِكْزٌ he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, this is impure. He said, this is impure. So the condition is what? The condition is that you have to use that which is pure. You have to use that which is uh, pure. There's a couple of other things that the author, Rahimahullah, didn't mention, which were necessary for him to mention. For example, you're not allowed to use something which is muhtaram. Something which is sacred. You're not allowed to clean yourself with something which is sacred. Like for example, you're not allowed to use um, the Quran for example. And using the Quran or part of the Quran, it's kufrun billahi al-aliyul azim. It's disbelief of Allah Azza Because it's ihanatul Quran. You're belittling the Quran. You can't use it. Whether that Quran is connected to the mushaf, or whether it's detached from it, meaning if it's a page that's ripped from it, or whether it's actually stuck to the mushaf, it doesn't matter. You're not allowed to do it. Some of the scholars, they mention that you can't even use the kutub al-Tawrati wal-Injil, the previous scriptures. You cannot use that. And the Torah and the Injil are books we know that its people distorted it. They changed it. Ba'adhalika, you're not allowed to use it. You're not allowed to use it. You're, not also, you're also not allowed to do the same with books which are, have Islamic sciences in it, like kutubs, which deal with Islamic sciences, like hadith and fiqh and tafsir and sarf and nahu and the likes of it. You're also not allowed to use human things that humans honor. From them is food. Food is an honorable thing. So you're not allowed to use bread, for example. And you're not allowed to use cheese, for example. You're not allowed to also use a bone. Okay? And the reason why you're not allowed to use a bone is because the Prophet ﷺ, he said that every stone, every stone in which Allah's, names was, Allah's name was mentioned in it, A meat is placed on it, and 
our brothers from the jinn eat from it. So it's something they want, something that's sacred for them. So we're not allowed to use that which is impure. We're also not allowed to use that which is sacred. Here what we take from it, brothers, is how Islam is very strong with cleansiness and purity. It's a religion that has surpassed human civilization today. Subhanallah, think about it. The way Islam has spoken about this 1,400 and something years ago. And today, we are seeing that the spread of a virus, coronavirus, for instance, it's spread in, in an epidemic way. It's lethal, it's killing people on a large scale. And the doctors today, they are emphasizing on, scientists are emphasizing on the concept of cleansiness, cleaning yourself. Islam, it's emphasized on that before any plague or virus came. It emphasized before all of that. And what I mean by before any virus or plague have, has come, whether it came or not, Islam has spoken about this. That's what I mean. And it's emphasized on it. So it's a religion of cleansiness. Taharatul badan, the cleansiness of the physical side, meaning the body, and also the cleansiness of the heart. The cleansiness of the heart is that you are patient with the calamities when they are before you. And that you know everything is in the hands of Allah. There is not a calamity that befalls you. And that comes your way. Except that calamity was written for you. All of this was written in a book for you. So you believe in it. Now inshallah ta'ala. We're going to go to inshallah bi-idhnillah al-kareem. The second side of where the author, rahimahullah, <coughs> he speaks about. Fasrun section. Furudul wudu'i sitatun. So the author, rahimahullah, he now goes into the furudul wudu'. The furudul wudu' is the obligatory act of wudu'.
So now we're going to go into, inshallah ta'ala, the furudul wudu. The furudul wudu.
So now the author, rahimahullah, he goes into a section known as Furudul Wudu'i, the obligatory things regarding the wudu'. The obligatory acts of wudu'. The word um, furud, it means, or it's the plural of the singular word fard. And fard is a nasib al-lazim, according to the ulama al-lugha. And according to the istilah, the technical usage is radif al-wajib. It is a synonym of the word al-wajib. And it is ma talabahu al-shari'u fi'lahu. It is what the sharia requested for you to do ala wajhi al-ilzam, in a forceful manner. And some scholars loosely say, ما يثاب على فعله أما ما يثاب فاعله امتثالاً ويعاقب تاركه The one who does it gets rewarded and the one who leaves it gets punished. That's a loose definition. We won't go too much into that. The reason why the author, rahimahullah, here mentioned فروض الوضوء and he didn't call it أركان الوضوء is because of a specific reason. We won't go into that now. We will not go into that. The author, rahimahullah, mentioned six obligations. The six, he mentioned six obligatory acts for wudu, of wudu. Four of the six that he mentioned are present in the Quran. From the six, four of them are in the Quran. And two of them are in the Sunnah. The four that are in the Quran is Rasulul Wajh, washing the face and washing the hands with the elbows um, and also washing the um, so washing the face, washing the two hands with the elbows and also wiping over the hair and also washing the two feet, those are found in the Qur'an. In Qawluhu Ta'ala, Ya ayu al-ladheena amanu idha qumtum ila salati faghsilu wujuhakum wa aydiyakum ila al-marafiqi wa msahu biru'usikum wa arjulakum ila al-ka'abayn. So this is found in the ayah. As for the other two, which is al-niyyah and al-tartib. Niyyah, intention, we have the hadith, innama al-a'malu bin-niyyat. We have the hadith, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَادِ And as for the tartib, we have the hadith of the Prophet where he said, إِبْدَأُوا بِمَا بَدَأَ اللَّهُ بِهِ Start that with, with, with that which Allah started with. Okay? And also the Arab, they do not do تَفْرِيقُ الْمُتَجَانِسِ إِلَّا لِنُكْتَ The Arabs, they don't distinguish between two things which are the same unless there's a reason behind it. Um, and Allah Taala, He distinguished between the things that need to be washed and the things that need to be wiped. So we recognize from that that it's sequences. Sequence. For example, um, the ayah talks about washing the face. The washing the face and the washing of the legs they have in common washing. 
But why is it that in between the two washings, Allah took, He put place, He placed between it wiping. Why didn't He not just put all of the washing in one side and the wiping on one side? And why did He place in between those two washings the wiping of the head? Because the wiping of the head comes before it. So the Arabs do not distinguish between al-mutajanis, two things which are the same, unless there's a wisdom and a reason behind it. And the reason here behind it is that uh, order, the sequence. Ala kulli hal, those are the six that the author, rahimahullah, mentioned. We're going to go through each one bi-idhnillah al-kareem. The first one of the six is aniyyah, intention. Intention is the first one. What I want to say, inshallah ta'ala, my beloved brothers and sisters, is that the uh, intention is a topic that the scholars spoke about in great details in many um, books, in many sciences. He mentioned that the hadith, he mentions that it enters 70 chapters of fiqh. وَلِذَلِكَ the poet he said وَهُوَ فِي السَّبْعِينَ بَابًا يَدْخُلُ عَنِ الْإِمَامِ الشَّافِعِيٌ قَلُ وَهُوَ فِي السَّبْعِينَ بَابًا يَدْخُلُ It enters 70 chapters عَنِ الْإِمَامِ الشَّافِعِيٌ قَلُ And this is transmitted from Al-Imam Shafi'i وَلِذَلِكَ جَلَلُدِينَ السُّيُوطِي He said that Al-Imam Shafi'i when he said that this hadith إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ which talks about the intention, Al-Imam al-Shafi'i said, it enters 70 chapters. Did he mean it min babi tahdeed or with takthir? Did he mean it min babi tahdeed or with takthir? Did Al-Imam al-Shafi'i mean by this that 70 meaning it enters many chapters and he didn't mean specifically seven because the Arabs sometimes use the word 70 as to mean something being a lot. As Allah said in the ayah, إِسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ أَوْ لَا تَسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ إِن تَسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ سَبْعِينَ مَرَّةً فَلَنْ يَغْفِرَ اللَّهُ لَهُمْ So Allah says, if you ask for them forgiveness 70 times, Allah will not forgive them. 70 here is لِلْتَكْثِيرِ You know, whatever, however much times you asked for them forgiveness, Allah will not forgive them. So when Shafi'i said 70 here, did he actually mean 70? Or did he mean a lot? Suyuti so took the opinion in his Kitab al-Shibah wal-Nadair that Al-Imam al-Shafi'i meant um, 70 tahadid, specifically the amount. With that, if you go to the Kitab al-Shibah wal-Nadair, Suyuti actually proved that the 70 that Shafi'i mentioned in which intent, fiqh, uh, in, the, in the chapters of fiqh in which enters, he proved them. He said, here, here. And he brought the 70, Suyuti. Suyuti brought it. Other scholars, they went and they proved more than 70. Because remember, that every action is based on what is intended by it, is not only specific to ibadat, it's not only specific to acts of worship. It's also in mu'amalat, transactions. It enters al-talaq, it enters al-nikah, it enters al-buyu'ah. It enters different chapters, and it's discussed in those chapters as well. So, Al-Imam al-Shafi'i never meant by it 70 per se, but what he meant by it is that 
it enters more than 70 chapters. It's just too much. It's large. That's what he meant by it. Anyways, the first obligatory act for wudu is intention. When the scholars, they talk about intentions, when the ulama speak about intention, they speak about seven things regarding intention. So it's important that you write this down. The scholars, when they speak about intention, they speak about seven, seven things regarding intention. And a, a poet brought those seven together and he said, حَقِيقَةٌ حُكْمٌ مَحَلٌ وَزَمَنٌ كَيْفِيَّةٌ شَرْطٌ وَمَقْصُودٌ حَسَنٌ حَقِيقَةٌ حُكْمٌ مَحَلٌ وَزَمَنٌ كَيْفِيَّةٌ شَرْطٌ وَمَقْصُودٌ حَسَنٌ These are the seven. The first one is حَقِيقَةٌ What does intention mean? What does niyyah mean? حَقِيقَةٌ niyyah What does intention actually mean? That's number one. Number two, حُكْمُهُ It's ruling. What is the حُكْم? Sorry, حُكْمُهَا What is the ruling of a niyyah? What is the ruling of a niyyah? Number three, mahalluha. Where does the intention come from? Where does it occur from? Number four, zamanuha. When does the intention have to be done? When does it have to be done? Five, kayfiyatuha. The form in which it's done. The form in which it's done. Six, shurutuha. Its conditions. The prerequisites of intention. And seven is maqsuduha. What is the objective and the ultimate goal from this intention? What is the intention? So what is the sorry, what is the objective of the intention? The scholars they speak about those seven I mentioned. Let's start with the first one. The word aniya, what does it mean? In the Arabic language, the word aniya means al-qast. It means al-qast. It's to intend something. Shar'anna, it means qasdu shay'i, it is to intend something. Muqtarinan bifi'lihi, and it's also to do the action with it. So it's to intend something. And the action being connected with it. Third thing is hoping reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those are the three things. So it's to, in, to the word aniyah means to intend something, to come with the action, to work towards coming with the action. And number three is to hope reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the reason why we say Muqtarinan bifi'lihi is that we want to get rid of the word azm. Azm and niya are two different things. Azm is qasdu shay. It is to intend to do something ma'adam niqtirani bifi'lihi. But the action is not mentioned. The action is not come with it. The action is not come with it. What is the ruling for niya? What is the ruling for intention? The ruling for aniyah is al-wujubu ghaliban. The majority of the times, it's obligatory. It's obligatory. Especially when it comes to do, especially when it comes to doing actions. Doing actions, 
you have to come with intentions. But leaving off things, you generally don't have to come with intention. You don't have to. You just miss the reward. For example, staying away from zina, do you have to have the intention of not um, the intention of staying away from zina for the sake of Allah? Does that have to be there? What about if it didn't come to my mind? It hasn't come to my mind at all. So the scholars, they say, when you want to do something, you have to come with the intention. But leaving off an action, not necessarily. Not always the case. So it's obligatory majority of the times. Mahalluha, where does the intention come from? I mean, where does a person have to do the intention from? Mahalluha al-qalb. The place you have to do it from is the heart. And to pronounce it and utter it is an innovation. So proclaiming it on your tongue, saying the intention on your tongue is an innovation. It's an innovation. Number four, zamanuha. When do you do it? You do it awalul ibadat. You do it at the beginning of the ibadat. So when you say Allahu Akbar and the intention are together. Your intention, your heart, and your Allahu Akbar are together. They're together. And some of the fuqah shafi'iyah, they say, the only one that you don't do it at the beginning of the ibadah, and that you do it before the ibadah, is fasting. It's fasting. Because they said, لِعُسْرِ مُرَاقَبَةِ الْفَجْرِ Because it's very hard for you to make the intention and it was accurate to the time of Al-Fajr. It's hard, they said. Number five, what way do you do the intentions? The intentions, they differ. Uh, it differs in accordance to the act that you're doing. So the example, the intention for fasting is different for the intention of praying is different from the intention for Hajj وَهَلُمَّ جَبْلَ the, ha- the, the way that it's done for each one is different. Number six. شُرُوطُهَا The conditions for the intention. The prerequisites that need to be met for the intention. The first one is إِسْلَامُ nawi. The person who's coming with the intention has to be a believer. Has to be a believer. فَلَا تَصِحُّ نِيَةُ مِنَ الْكَافِرِ the intention, فَلَا تَصِحُّ النِّيَةُ مِنْ كَافِرٍ The intention is not correct from a disbeliever. It's not. And of course there are exceptions. Number two is a tamiz The person has to be a mumayyiz. Mumayyiz here is the child who can distinguish things. And the scholars, the dabid that they set for tamiz is of course of different. Like in the Shafi'iyah, they believe that the mumayyaz is وحده, the one who can eat by himself. And he can drink by himself. وحده, and he can also cleanse himself from the impurity by himself. The intention cannot be done by a child that hasn't reached this stage. He hasn't reached uh, a tamiz And also a majnoon, a person who's insane. They can't. 
Again, there are exceptions. Number three, al-ilmu bil manwi. The person has to have knowledge of the thing that they are doing the intention for. They have to know it. So you're going to pray salah. You need to know what pray salah you're going to pray and how to pray it, in order to do the intention for it. If you don't even know, for example, that dhuhr is four rak'ah and you want to do intention for it, then this is wrong. Because you don't even know al-ilmu bil manwi. The fourth one, and these brothers, these uh, I'm going to mention are the six conditions for the uh, intention. So number four is adam al-itiyani bima yunafiha. You can't come with anything that's going to nullify it. You can't come with anything that's going to nullify it. Um, like apostating, for example. If a person apostates from Islam, that does nullify his intention. Number five is Adam You can't connect your intention to something. So, for example, you say, if so and so enters, my prayer will disconnect. Then, of course, when this, thing's ha- when this happens, then your salah is disconnected because your intention was limited to that, to that time. So you're not allowed to uh, connect your intention to something. It has to be unrestricted. So you meaning, I'm going to do my intention for the prayer. Khalas. You can't say, I'm going to do my intention for the prayer if someone so-and-so enters it. This is called ta'aliqu shay'i bi shay'i. Number six is adam التردد في قطعها. The person is he's, um, thinking, he's thinking twice about whether he should disconnect from something or not. Um, for example, someone's in the middle of the prayer and they say, shall I leave the prayer? No, no, no I'm not going to leave it. No, I think I should. No, I'm not going to leave it. Then the salah is gone. Because you did taraddud. Also, the same with the wudu. It require, if you do that, it will go. So these are the conditions that the scholars mentioned for the shurut. <laughs> Last but not least, maqsuduha its objective. What is, it, what is it that is needed from the intention? What is the objective? First of all, before we go into the scholars, when they speak about the intention, they divide it into two. They say, Qasdul ibadah wa qasdul ma'bud. Qasdul ibadah and qasdul ma'bud. Qasdul ma'bud is what the scholars refer to as al-ikhlas. Ikhlas is qasdul ma'bud. Who are you doing this action for? Who are you trying to get closer to by doing this action? So this is called qasdul ma'bud. Who are you intending to do it for? Okay. Who are you intending to do it for? That's not what the scholars of fiqh speak about. Scholars of fiqh, they don't speak about qasdul ma'bud. Qasdul ma'bud is spoken about in aqidah. The concept of a tawheed and singling Allah in this action. قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِي وَنُسُكِي وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهِ وَبِذَلِكَ أُمِرْتُ أَنَا أَوَّلُ الْمُسْلِمِ This is ikhlas. وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ حُنَفَاءَ وَيُقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَيُؤْتُوا الزَّكَاةَ وَذَلِكَ دِينُ الْقَيِّمَةِ لَيَّنَالَ اللَّهَ لُحُومُهَا وَلَا دِمَاؤُهَا وَلَكِ يَنَالُهُ التَّقْوَى مِنْكُمْ These are ikhlas. Who are you doing this action for? 
Who is the one you're trying to get closer to? That's Qasdul Ma'bud. And that's the most important one. The second one is Qasdul Ibadah. Qasdul Ibadah, what does it mean? Qasdul Ibadah means two things. Qasdul Ibadah means two things. It means Tamyizul Adati Anil Ibadat. It is to distinguish the norms that the person does and his customs from the acts of worship. To distinguish, to distinguish one from the other. For example, someone used to just shower every morning and he used to do this to cool himself down. Okay? Or he, did, he used to do it to clean himself. Every morning when he wakes up, he feels like if he doesn't do it, he's not clean. So he goes and he does that. But this morning, he has to do janaba. He had sexual intercourse with his partner. He has to do ghuslul janaba. How does he distinguish the norms of him cleaning himself and the janaba? It's based on the intention. So this is called tamizul adati anil ibadat. You distinguish your normal routine from an act of worship that you now need to do. Both of which are cleaning yourself. But what distinguishes one from the other is an intention. So ghuslul nabafa has to be distinguished from the ghuslul janaba. Also, Distinguishing the ibadat from one another. Distinguishing the ibadat from one another. For example, how do you distinguish Zuhur from Asr? It's an intention. Okay? Or how do you distinguish Ghuslul Jum'ah from Ghuslul Al Janabah? How do you distinguish one from the, the other? This is called Qasdul Ibadah. And those are the two types for the Qasdul Ibadah. Tamyuzul Ibadati Anil Adat or Tamyuzul Ibadati Ba'diha An Ba'd. And these seven that I've just spoken about right now, Haqiqatun Hukmun Mahalun wa Zaman, Kaifiyatun Shartun wa Maqsudun Hassan, are these seven that are spoken about when, when someone is speaking about the intention, these seven you have to understand. If you want to look more into it, uh, you can go into the Kitab Al-Fara'idul Bahiyya and Shuruhat, the explanation that have been done on the Kitab Al-Fara'idul Bahiyya. So that's the first condition, or the first obligatory act of wudu, which is aniya, intention. You have to have an intention. The second one is غَسْلُ wajhi, Washing your face. Washing your face is obligatory. The question here is, um, what is the face? The face is whatever faces a person when they are talking to you. It's what they can see from you. And it is from your jaw Or, yeah, it's here up to where your hair starts and to this ear to the other ear. So the length and the width. That's what your face is. And the obligation for that is قوله تعالى يا أيها الذين آمنوا إذا قمتم إلى الصلاة فاغسلوا وجوهكم Wash your faces. To wash your face. 
وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ And the second one is washing your hands. The author here said غَسْلُ الْيَدَيْنِ مَعَ الْمِرْفِقَيْنِ Washing your hands with your elbows, including your elbows. Here the question here is, the scholars they discussed and they spoke about washing your hands, is the elbows included or are they not included? Is the elbows included or are they not included? Because the ayah says, يَا إِيُّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ فَاغْسِلُوا إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ فَاغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ This word, إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ And we have the author here saying, غَسْلُ الْيَدَيْنِ مَعَ الْمِرْفِقَيْنِ He used the word مَعَ When the ayah used إِلَى غَسْلُ الْيَدَيْنِ Washing the two hands مَعَ الْمِرْفِقَيْنِ With the elbows but the ayah said to the elbows. It says, إِلَى الْمِرْفِقَيْنِ Why did he mention the word إِلَى as to be ma'a? Because we find that the Qur'an, the word إِلَى has sometimes been used as the word ma'a. It has been. Like when Allah Taala says, وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَهُمْ إِلَى أَمْوَالِكُمْ do not eat their wealth with your wealth. Meaning, do not take the orphan's wealth and your wealth together. So the ayah says, وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَهُمْ إِلَىٰ أَمْوَالِكُمْ أَيْ مَعَ أَمْوَالِكُمْ إِلَاهِيَ means ma'a. With. So the word ilah has been used as the word, the word ma'a. And the fact that it means with the elbows included is the hadith narrated by Dara Qutni. And also Imam Al-Bayhaqi Min hadithi Jabirin Radiyallahu ta'ala anhu Where he said Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ida tawadda'a Adara al-ma'a ala mirfiqayhi That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam If he did wudu He would rub The water And he would wipe the water Over his elbows So that hadith Which Sheikh Nasir rahimahullah Shaykh Nasir al-Din al-Albani rahimahullah hassanahu He graded it to be sound So the elbows There's a narration for it Which mentions Adar al-ma' That the Prophet will He would wipe the water over his elbows And of course it goes in line with the qa'idatul ulama' The principle that the, the principle That the scholars have mentioned Which is مَا لَا يَتِيمُ الْوَاجِبُ إِلَّا بِهِ فَهُوَ وَاجِبُ Whatever the obligatory act cannot be done without it, it becomes obligatory. Meaning, washing the hands, your hand and uh, your arm will not be really done unless you do the elbow with it. You can't really wash your arm unless you add the elbow in it. So it becomes obligatory because of that. So that's why the author has taken the opinion that with the elbows included. The author then says, um, It means wiping. And of course, the fact that we said wiping means it can only be done once. 
Because if you do it more than once, it's no longer wiping, it becomes washing. So in order for it to be wiping, it has to be only done once. And the way that the Prophet ﷺ used to do it was, he used to start from the muqaddimatul ra'si, from the beginning of the head, and he would take it back to the ila qafah, back to the, um, uh, his neck, and then he would come back to where he started from, والسلام. Here we have the ayah which says, وَمْسَحُوا بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ So we have the ayah saying, وَمْسَحُوا wipe بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ This ba' in بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ The ba' in بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ The fuqaha differed amongst themselves. What is this ba'? What does it mean? Some of the fuqaha, they took the opinion that the ba' huna لِلتَّبْعِضْ بِبَعْضِ رُؤُوسِكُمْ Some of your hair. They took the view that the Ba' in biru'usikum, it means a biba'viru'usikum, some of your hair. And that's the opinion that the author here took. Mas'u shay'in min al-ra'si, wiping over some of the hair. And some of the scholars, they took that, no, it doesn't mean that, it means the ba' here is lil-ilsaq, and it's not lil-tab'id. Some scholars, they took that. And we won't go into the strongest opinion now. We're only mentioning Qawlu Shafi'iyah. The Shafi'i madhab here, and the author's view here is to wipe over some of the hair. Number five. Ghaslu rijlaini ma'al ka'abaini. Wiping over. This is the fifth from the furudul wudu. And that is to wash your legs with the elbows with the uh, ankles included, sorry. Ghaslul rijlaini, washing your two feet, ma'al ka'abaini, with the ankles included. Okay? With the ankles included. And the sixth one is at-tartib, to observe the sequence. The sequence that it was mentioned. So a person can't wash his face and then go to his legs. It has to be done in the sequence and the order we said. So the person has to first of all uh, wash the face. And then the person, he then does the uh, hands with the elbows. And then he goes back to the hair and the head. And then after that he washes his feet. That is the order in which it was mentioned in the ayah. That's the order Allah mentioned in the ayah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So at-tartib means وَضْعُ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ فِي مَرْتَبَتِهِ It is to place everything in its order. It is to place everything in the right place. أَلَّا يُقَدِّمَ عُضْوًا عَلَىٰ عُضْوٍ You can't put one organ and one limb before another. And this is something that we took from the Prophet ﷺ. The wudu is a ibadah. And it is غير معقول المعنى. It's not something we can rationalize and intellectually observe. It is something that's taken from the textual evidence. It's taken from the Quran and the Sunnah. And so because it hasn't come from the Prophet ﷺ that he has done it in any other way, we have to take it from him the way he did it ﷺ. Finally, the author, he goes into something we kind of spoke about, which is the intention, what does it mean? He says the intention is قصد شيء مقترنا بفعله 
ومحلها القلب والتلفظ بها السنة ووقتها عند غسل أول جزء من الوجه والترتيب ألا يقدم عضو على عضو The author رحمه الله here he goes into what does the intention mean and we already spoke about that but he said something which is ومحلها القلب he said that the place which the intention comes from is the heart والتلفظ بها سنة and to utter the intention يعني when you want to do the wudu you pro- proclaim the intention on your tongue or even before you say Allahu Akbar you say the intention this is an innovation rather if you go to the statement that Al-Khatib Al-Shirbini transmits in his Kitab Al-Mughni Al-Muhtaj in his Kitab Al-Mughni Al-Muhtaj in the first volume page 255 he transmits from Shihab Al-Adra'i that he said wala dalila lin-nadbi wata'aqabahu faqala huwa mamnu'un bal qila biwujub at-talaffuz bin-niyyati fi kulli ibadatin some have even gone to the extreme extreme level of saying that it is obligatory to say the intention with your tongue some of them actually gone to that extreme they said at-talaffuz bin-niyyati wajibun that to pronounce um, or to say the intention with your tongue is obligatory يعني when you before you say Allahu Akbar, you say Nawaitu Salatul Dhuri Arba Rakatin Hakada. You basically say it with your tongue. This is an innovation. It is not Sunnah, let alone it being wajib. Let alone it being wajib. It's it's a bid'ah, it's an innovation. when you should say it is Again, when is the first time that you say the intention? Is when it is when you place the water. As soon as you place the water on your face, this is when the intention comes. وَالْتَرْتِيبُ And the order, or the tartib is أَلَّا يُقَدِّمَ عُضُونَ عَلَىٰ عُضُونَ Is that you do not place one limb before another limb. So you don't put one limb before the other limb. That is what tartib means. And we've already spoken about it. The way that a person can go against the order and the tartib is in two ways. There's two ways that people can go against the tartib. The first way is that the person actually goes and he washes the face and then he washes his leg. He's gone against the order and the sequence. Another way that a person can go against the order and the sequence is he goes and he dips himself into the ocean or he dips himself into into a large quantity of water. He dips himself into it with the intention of wudu. This also goes against the tartib, the sequence and the order. So these are the uh, furud of the wudu. These are the obligatory acts of the wudu that the author rahimahullah mentioned. The first one is a niyyah, intention, and we've spoken about it. The second one is Ghaslul uh, Wajhi And the third one is Ghaslul Yadayni Ma'al Mirfiqayn And the fourth one is Mas'ul Ra's And the fifth, fifth one is Ghaslul Rijlayni Ma'al Ka'bayni And the sixth one is At-Tartib And inshallah ta'ala we'll stop there for today Anything which I have said that was wrong or incorrect is from me and shaitan and Allah and his messenger are free from it 
سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أستغفرك وأتوب إليك Does anyone have any questions inshallah ta'ala If you have any questions put your hand up بإذن الله الكريم So someone asked a question and they said and Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Ustad Is it possible to pray two rak'ah of Jum'ah Along with a small khutbah at home? Yani, am I allowed to do khutbah in my house basically? I have a, f- a number of family members Am I allowed to, am I allowed to do khutbah uh, at home? The answer to that question is no You're not allowed to do khutbah to Jum'ah in your house The khutbah to Jum'ah is for the masjid so what every one of us has to do is, because of the coronavirus, we have been prevented from being able to go to the khutbah. We've been prevented from it. So the congregation that we do in the house is going to be dhuhr. The salah that we're going to be praying at home is going to be dhuhr. And I'll highly recommend that because we're not able to go to the masjid and pray the jama'ah and the jum'ah in the masjid, for the next upcoming weeks, I will encourage you all to try your best to at least make a jama'ah in the house. If you've got a lot of siblings, if you've got your parents, you're married and you have a lot of children, then to establish a jama'ah in the house is highly recommended. It is something that you should do, is to pray jama'ah. As for praying jum'ah in your house, then this is incorrect. You can't pray jum'ah in your house you only are going to pray dhuhr. Wallahu a'la wa a'lam.